we're going to go long as it is. So, uh, no, I, I actually this morning, um, I, I preached at, uh, I was going, I want to call it Believers, but it's not Bible Truth. Yeah. And, uh, this, and at the end, or actually it wasn't really at the end yet. And there's this, this guy that was in the back and he was like, and I, I guess he told me afterwards I went an hour long. So, uh, I, I just kind of keep going. So I guess just tell me like when to cut off. So <laughs> I'm, I get, I get to having such a good time. Um, okay. I'm going to try to, we'll try to go through this fast, but, uh, Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I, uh, the, this, this passage I think is so important. I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna preach it to myself. Um, the, this, this is warning. This is a warning to me. A, a warning hopefully to all of you. Um, wherever the camera's at, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going to walk around. I'm probably going to go out of view of the camera a little bit. Um, uh, sort of like Nate, only uh, I think I'm going to walk around with a purpose. So, but no, I love Nate. Oh, he, he came to Peru about a year ago. He came to Peru with us and uh, or he and I, we did this uh, epic jungle trip. And um, when I found out about his cancer in, in some months leading up to the trip, I, I contacted him. I said, look, we need to cancel the trip. Uh, in, you know, if you're going through radiation and, and everything and with the cancer, you need to like, you need to take it easy. And he just looked at me and he said, I'm not little, I'm not letting a little cancer hold me back. Let's go for it. And I was like, I was really nervous. I was thinking if I'm the one responsible for killing Nate out, out in the jungle, this is going to be really bad. But, uh, oh, we had a blast together. We had a blast, um, going from village to village and preaching and, um, let's, uh, let's begin with prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, um, to open up your word together. We pray that you would encourage us. We pray that you would challenge us, convict us of sin. If, um, if we need to be convicted, Lord, we pray that, uh, we pray that you would raise up, uh, a new generation of evangelists and, and preachers, disciple makers, church planters, missionaries that, that would go into the worst and most difficult places on the planet. Lord, we pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to live lives with uh, reckless abandon to you and to your mission of making Christ's name great among the nations. Lord, we, we just pray that... Uh, you would give us a sense of urgency as the end of the ages has come upon us. Christ's return is imminent. Help us to saturate ourselves with your word. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Help us to live as strangers and aliens on the earth, just passing through here for such a short amount of time in comparison to eternity. Only one life to live, soon to a pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh God, give us an eternal perspective. Lord, I pray that you would help me to say the words that you want me to say right now. We put this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to show you uh, this, this afternoon, or this evening, 
from the book of Mark here in chapter 14, we see how Peter takes these steps that actually he prepares himself for a huge fall. He, he starts out in the first couple of verses I'm going to start in, in verse 29. No, no, verse 26 is where I'm going to start. But you, you see him, he's telling the Lord Jesus, I, I, I could never deny you. Uh, I'll ne- maybe everyone else will deny you, but, but I could never do that. And by the end of the chapter, he's denying the Lord three times, saying, I, I, know, I don't even know who this guy is. And, and he commits this huge sin that he didn't think was even possible for himself to commit. And uh, I just want to show you that he took steps before that huge fall, preparing himself for the fall. And the steps that I'm going to show you, I'm not saying that they're not sins, that each one of these steps are a sin, but maybe they're sins that he's not really conscious of. He doesn't realize what he's doing and the steps that he's taking as he's distancing himself from the Lord Jesus and getting closer and closer, you could say, to, to the door of the church building. Um, I, I'm sure that you have all seen some brother or sister who seemed to be walking walking faithfully with the Lord, seemed to maybe even be on fire for the Lord, and, and just maybe over months and years just slowly began to drift from the Lord. And now they're no longer part of the congregation. And I don't mean they just went to a different church. They're in the world. They've abandoned the faith completely. Have you seen that happen ever? A few of you. I've seen it happen so many times. Um, Let me start with this. When when we were in Peru, um, in the very beginning, about 20 years ago, we we, um, started out in the the coastal town of Trujillo. And um, there's a good surfing town, Huanchaco, that is uh, close to where we lived in Trujillo. And there was a brother, Marco, who used to take me out uh, surfing. And uh, we'd go with our surfboards and uh, wetsuits. And this one day we were out there and, and uh, there was just, there was a ton of surfers out there. It was good waves that day, but I was waiting for the big waves. I didn't want any of these wimpy little ones. And so I was letting the little ones go. And I, at first I was floating out there with a whole bunch of other surfistas. And then uh, pretty soon before I knew it, um, there weren't very many people around me anymore. Um and then I hear Brother Marco, he yells out to me, Hermano Miqueas, el mar está llevándote. Brother Micah, the ocean's taking you out. And all of a sudden I realize where I'm at, there's no more waves. I'm like beyond the waves. And there's no other surfers near me. I look and all the surfers are like little ants close to the the, the playa, close to the beach out there. And I, I turn around, I look, and there's China right there. No, I mean, but it was like I was way out there. I was way out there. The tide had changed and all of a sudden panic and I'm trying to swim in. And the But the tide's coming against me. I don't know if this has ever happened to you before. I was stuck out in the ocean for hours. I couldn't get in. It was, it was, it was scary. But I, I realized later that is exactly like how the world, little by little, without realizing it, it sucks you in until you get yourself in an extremely dangerous situation. And you don't know how you got there. It's just like little by little. How did I get in this situation? And you're in grave danger now. 
And this is really the story that you see here with Peter. He takes these steps little by little without even realizing it. And he's been sucked in and he's in this situation now where he completely denies the Lord. And he does this thing that he didn't think was even possible. And I want to show you the steps that took him there. And I want to do this because I think that as individuals, we're so, we have this propensity to do this as families Even as a whole church body, assemblies die, they go down these steps. So whether this is a message for for the whole assembly or just as individuals, you determine where you're at. But let's start here in, um, in verse 26. This is Mark 14, verse 26 in Adelante. And when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times." But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So I ask you, anything wrong with Peter right there? Go ahead and pipe up. Pride. Pride and self-confidence. I think he should have said, Jesus, help me. I know that in and of myself, I'm capable of the worst of sins. The most heinous of crimes. Please help me. But instead he's like, I'm Peter. I'm the man. I'm the future Pope of the church. No, no, no. He's like, everybody else might fall away, but not me. I'm your right-hand man. I'm like the most important of the disciples. And here, you see this pride, self-confidence, arrogance. Let me read this. Here's a statement by a a preacher, writer, David Rhodes. Pride is the dandelion of the soul. Its root goes deep. Only a little left behind and it sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest and encouraging cracks. And it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it it feeds on goodness. This... Obviously, this is where the devil's fall began. This is pride. I, I think that a lot of us in assemblies are maybe guilty of this. We do church the right way. We know our Bibles. The other churches, not so much. I mean, maybe that's not the attitude here. I'm sure it's not the attitude here. But man, I just, in my own life, I just, I see that, I feel you have become so prideful. And you, when, with this pride and arrogance and self-confidence, maybe everyone else will fall away, but not me. You, you take this big step away from Jesus. You, you begin to distance yourself from Him. I, I just, I, I, I'm speaking to myself just in the last few months seen several brothers that I thought were strong. And they've just taken a huge fall. 
huge fall in, in horrible and ugly sin. And now afterwards, looking back at it, you begin to see, wow, there was all these other little things that were hidden. And a lot of times it starts right here. Pride. Pride, arrogance, confidence in myself rather than in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to look to Him. Lord, help me. Pride and confidence in yourself. Second step. Um, we'll just keep on reading there in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I pray. And He took with Him Peter and James and John. And He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, He fell on the ground and He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from Him. And He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me, yet not what I will, but what You will. Verse 37, And He came and He found them sleeping. And he said, Peter, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go and see my betrayer is at hand. So here, here we've got Peter is one of the actors again. What's his problem this time? Sleeping. Sleeping. I'm like really tired right now. And that's Mike's fault. <laughs> um, I had a great, just great time with, with the red slide talking last night but uh <laughs> i'm super tired um is sleep wrong how many of you slept last night about half of you <clears throat> sleep isn't this isn't sin just like so many things most things aren't sin in and of themselves but outside of its proper context it's sin Right here, Jesus is asking these three guys, his closest disciples, pray with me, pray for me, watch. And Jesus is, he's pouring out his soul before the Father. He, he's sweating like great drops of blood. I mean, he's in agony, crying out. This is the great, greatest moment in all of history that he's facing. The wrath of God, the Father is going to be poured out on the Son. And just to imagine what Jesus is going through at this point. I mean, he's even saying, if this cup could pass from me, I mean, this is a horrible thing, a separation from God the Father that he's about to experience and he knows what this is going to be. And he comes to his disciples, not once, not twice, three times, and they're snoring each time, roncando. They're snoring here, sleeping when they should have been praying. And right here, the point that I just really want to emphasize is Neglecting prayer. 
The first step Peter takes is pride and self, self-confidence, arrogance. A, a second step, preparing himself for this great fall. Yes, these are, these steps that he's taking are wrong, but he's kind of, it seems like he's taking these steps without realizing it. Oftentimes we do the exact same thing. Even as a church body, we can do the same thing. You take these small steps away from God's word, away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And before you know it, you're a little bit farther. And now it's this neglect of prayer. He should have been praying when he was sleeping. Prayer. Um, I love this story about um, a small town in Texas. And um, there's like five or six churches in this small town of Texas. And apparently this is a true story. Um, and and a, business, uh, a business owner. Oh, are you offended? Alana's upset. Conviction is setting in. But, uh, so the small town in Texas, all these churches, and, uh, there's no discoteca, nightclub, in, in, in this town. And so a business owner comes, he's like, hey, lots of youth here, I could probably make a lot of money if I put this nightclub in. So he, he puts a nightclub in, and immediately the pastors begin to get together, and they're praying that the Lord would remove this nightclub. And they're praying fervently. Within about a week, a lightning storm comes, lightning bolt falls, hits the, the, the discoteca, it catches on fire, burns to the ground. And so the owner of the nightclub takes the pastors to court. And he presents his case and he's like, listen, judge, these guys, everybody knew it. The pastors were praying that the Lord would remove my nightclub. And God, he sent this lightning storm, sends a lightning bolt, burns the thing to the ground. This is, this is the pastor's fault. They've got to pay. And so then the, the pastors present their case and they're like, come on, I mean, judge, look, yeah, we were praying and stuff, but I mean, randomly, you've gotten, you know, an act of mother nature, lightning and it, I mean, it burns to the ground. How are you going to, how are you going to blame us for this? As if God sent this lightning storm. And then the judge says, well, one thing is obvious here. While the owner of the nightclub believes in the power of prayer, the pastors don't. And it, I mean, as you hit, the first time I heard that, I was, wow, that, that hits you like a ton of bricks. And just really, do we believe in the power of prayer? And really, you show how much you believe in the power of prayer by how much you do it. I don't pray enough. When's the last time you had an all-night prayer meeting? A personal prayer meeting. You got in your prayer closet, just you and the Lord, on your knees all night, crying out to the Lord. When's the last time you had an all-night prayer meeting collectively as, as a church body? It, it, prayer, prayer, prayer. I, this, this is so important that I'm just preaching to myself. And look at here, it says in this, as, as Jesus comes to him, he finds him sleeping. In verse 37, he says, he came to Peter and he said, Simon, are you asleep? Why does he call him Simon? This is his name before he met Jesus. Remember when... Simon meets Jesus and Jesus changes his name from now on. We're going to call you Peter. And I think it just, it sets forth this, this picture of 
new creature in Christ. You're a new person, a whole new identity. He gives him a new name. But now Jesus is coming to him and he says, Simon. I think he's kind of llamándole la atención. Calling him, call, do you say that in English? Calling him to attention? It doesn't sound as good in Spanish. It sounds better. Well, getting his attention? Yeah. When my dad used to say, Micah James Tuttle, I knew I was in trouble. I was going to get a spanking. James, he used my middle name. This is bad. And I think Jesus, in a sense, is he's calling Peter out. Simon. Why are, you, why are you using my name from the Micah from before Christ? He's been buried with Christ and now I've been risen new life in Christ. But that, that Micah from before wants to rear his ugly head. And here you see it and, and he's sleeping. He's giving in to the weakness of the flesh. He's sleeping when he should be praying. Let's go on. Forty-three. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, and one of the twelve with him, a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up at once, and he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant to the high priest and cut off his ear. Backing up to verse 45, I just want to say, and this is, this is a different message, but so Judas comes up and he kisses him. Judas literally kissed the door to heaven and then went to hell. Jesus is clearly the door. He calls himself the door in John 10. Here it's, he kissed Jesus. He kissed the door to heaven and then went to hell. That close. Out of the millions of men, Jesus chooses 12. I mean, he, Jude, Judas is part of that generation. He lived when the king had landed. And he witnessed all those miracles, all the great teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Walked with Jesus. He was one of the 12. I mean, he had the best teacher, the wisest counselor, the, the best pastor or shepherd. That close. And here he kisses the door to heaven. He denies the Lord Jesus Christ, gives him over to be crucified for 30 pieces, stupid pieces of silver. Unbelievable. I, what a warning. I just, I think of this like Judas went to hell from the front row of a brethren assembly. But back to Peter. In verse 46, there's this guy that draws his sword, cuts off somebody's ear. Who was it? How do you know? It doesn't say it's Peter. Mark doesn't say it's Peter. John. 
And you probably know Peter was probably um, sitting alongside Mark at the writing of this gospel. Um, at least uh, church tradition says that Peter was uh, uh, had a heavy influence on Mark here as he's writing this gospel. So maybe Peter's like, you know, write this story down, but don't put my name in it. But John, later he's writing, he's like, it was Peter. He's pointing, it was Peter. But, okay, so think about this. He pulls out his sword, and let's just suppose that you're the, uh, um, how do you say, I always get this, the high priest servant, high priest servant, that's who you are, and I'm Peter. Peter pulls out his sword, and I don't think Peter is going, okay, just stand still, I'm going for the ear, ear, ear. No, no, no. He's going for the whole head. He wants to take the head, the head off. And he comes, and I mean, he, but now the, the criado servant, he, he likes his head. He wants to conserve his head. So he's, he's ducking as soon as the, the you should duck. Here comes, here comes, yeah. No, no, more, more like this, I think. Yeah. And so he's going for the head. You're ruining my illustration. But he just, he just gets the ear. I imagine it was something like that. I don't know, but I think when, when we're reading the Bible, you try to put yourself in the story. He's trying to cut his head off. The guy ducks and just gets his ear. Um, who preached at Pentecost? How many people got saved? 3,000. How many ears is that? <laughs> 6,000 ears. Well, I, I'm joking, but... Uh, Look, the results were way better in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, what sword is he using? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You, you read that in Acts 2? He's quoting from the Old Testament, Joel. He's, I mean, but he is, he is preaching Bible. Here, Peter's using the wrong sword. And what, what a lesson to us. Are we using our sword? And are we using it correctly? Peter here, he resorts to violence. We're not in jihad. The Lord can take care of himself. What would have happened if Peter had stood up on a table right then and began to preach? Just quoting scripture from Joel like he does a few weeks later. And the result, 6,000 ears. Here, just one stupid little ear. But Bible. And what I guess I want to... Uh, emphasize here striking with the wrong sword or may, neglecting the use of the Bible. Are you using your Bible? L- let me read this. This is a this is a quote about the Bible, and you, and you get this on the, the front page of the, the Gideon's New Testaments. If you have one of those, you open that up, and it gives kind of a good description of the Bible. Listen to this description. Totally awesome. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine, its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven is open, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. 
It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts and it will lead you to Calvary, to an empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to glory itself for all eternity. That's the Bible. That is a great description of the Christian sword. Are you using your sword? Just saturating yourself with it, memorizing it, reading it, rereading it, sharing it with others. In the midst of temptation, you're taking that sword out and you're battling the devil as you're throwing different scriptures at him. Use your sword. Is your sword bloody? Spiritually speaking, are you using it in the battle? And here Peter, he's using the wrong sword. Going back to the beginning to try to burn it into our minds. I'm Peter, right hand man to Jesus. First step that he took, which was it? Pride, Pride, self-confidence, arrogance. I'm the best of the disciples. Maybe everybody else will fall away, but not me. I'm the man. I'm a missionary. Pride, arrogance, self-confidence rather than confidence in the Lord. Second, second apostle, second step. Sleeping, sleeping but no sleeping when he should have been praying. He, not just sleeping. The sleep is not bad. And <laughs> another big step, we're saying away from the Lord Jesus and toward the, the door of the church. Third step. Wrong sword. Major step away from Jesus and toward the door of the church. I'm not using my Bible anymore. I'm not fighting the spiritual battle in in the way that I should be fighting it with God's Word. And, And now look, I'm closer to the door of the church than I am to the Lord Jesus. Those steps that He's slowly taking without even realizing it. And he's preparing himself. Once again, I want to emphasize, I think he probably doesn't realize what he's doing here. And oftentimes, I find myself doing this. I just, I take these small steps away from the Lord and pretty soon you find yourself, whoa, what has been going on? Look at how far I am from the Lord all of a sudden. The next step, jump to verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. What's Peter's problem there? He's following the Lord though. Like the other disciples, it sounds like they've just all fled completely. Peter's following the Lord. This is good. But man, the Lord wants us to follow Him closely. Cuesta lo que cuesta. Yeah, they might have crucified Peter also if he had just stuck right by Jesus' side. And I can understand, man, it must have been freaky. This is a scary situation. They're all taking Jesus and they've been trying to kill Him. And now they're going to do it to follow Him closely. But listen, listen to how... The apostles and some of the pillars of the early church 
died because they decided they were going to follow the Lord Jesus closely, whether it cost them their lives or not. After, after Pentecost, up in the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes. They go out of that room afterwards, full of the Holy Spirit, like lions, burning fire in their heart to preach God's Word. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. It was shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. And I couldn't. That's what Jeremiah says. And you see that after the resurrection, all of a sudden these guys that scattered from the Lord Jesus, they were scared. Peter's following, but at a distance, he's scared. He's like, shh, I'm a Christian, but don't tell him. Like here, here in, in, in the, in the Bible chapel, in, yeah, in, in the bubble here, who everybody can know, but out there, my neighbors, in workplace, shh. I'm a Christian, but a secret Christian. But then after the Pentecost, after Pentecost, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, you see these guys, and it's unbelievable what happened. All of a sudden, no longer falling at a distance. These guys are out now. It does not matter if they cut my head off, if they skin me alive, if they crucify me upside down. I'm preaching Christ and Christ crucified. Listen to how these guys die. In the year 93 after Christ, Luke, he was hanged. AD 66, Paul was beheaded. AD 64, Mark, who writes this gospel, he's dragged behind a horse until he's dead. AD 66, James, the half-brother of Jesus, thrown from the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, hits the ground, doesn't die, so they finish him off with clubs. 95, the year 95, John, he, he writes the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos, and then his, the, the, I don't want to say legend, Christ, uh, church, church history says they burned him in oil, or they, they boiled him in oil, and he actually survived it, lived a few more years just completely charred. After that, uh, in, well, I'm not going in year order here. In 35, and you, you're, you're 35, and you get this in the book of Acts. James, he's slain with the sword by Herod. Year 70, Andrew, he goes as a missionary to, to India, and, and he's speared to death. In year 54, Philip is crucified. Year 60, Matthew is beheaded. James, the son of Alphaeus, is clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot crucified. Judas, the son of James, shot through with arrows. And now Peter, our man that we're looking at right here, I mean, he's following at a distance right here. But later on, you see this man, they're going to crucify him. And he says, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're going to crucify me, do it upside down. Can you imagine the blood in your body would run to your head and you're trying to breathe and push yourself up? Just the pressure maybe make your head explode. The horrible deaths that these guys were, were willing to suffer because they really believed Jesus had risen from the dead. It doesn't matter if you crucify me upside down. I won't stop preaching the gospel amazing but at this point he's following the lord at a distance the lord wants us to follow him closely no matter what the cost Go, going back once again going through the steps i'm peter jesus right hand man first step 
Pride. Arrogance. Self-confidence. Second step? No praying. No praying. Sleeping when he should have been praying. Third step? Wrong sword. He's not using his Bible. Using violence. Fourth step? Following, but at a distance. I am right at the door to head out of the church. And he's taking these steps without really realizing it once again. He's setting himself up for a huge fall. Last step. Verse 54. At the beginning again, and Peter, who had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. What's wrong with Peter there? He, what, what? He's sitting with the same people that, are, that have just smashed the crown of thorns onto Jesus' head. These guards that have been punching Jesus, blindfolding Him, punching Him, saying, prophesy, who just hit you? The same guys that are spitting in Jesus' face. The same guys that end up putting the nails into his hands and his feet. I imagine it's these same guys. He's sitting with the guards. Now, we have to live in this world. But obviously, as Christians, we're not of it. And I don't mean like you can't have unbelieving friends. We should have unbelieving friends. We need to get out there and impact the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean like sitting with the world. He, he's like trying to kind of blend in with them is what he's doing. He's falling at a distance. He's I'm just going to fit right in here with everybody that's kind of, you know, uh, I'm not one of them, but I'm going to try to, you know, chameleon. I'm going to be like, be like them. He's sitting with the world. Are you sitting with the world when you go out of this place and into your workplaces, neighborhoods and extended family? Do they know you as now, now Christian? Or are you just kind of one of them? You've blended in really nicely. Sitting with the world. Peter here, he's sitting with the world. Who can, who can quote Psalm 1 1? Blessed. And? Peter is doing the exact opposite. He, he's sitting with them. He's not being that blessed man that doesn't sit with them. He's sitting with them there. There's the same guys, the mockers and scoffers that are mocking Jesus. Peter, he, he's sitting with the world. The second part of that, the very last part of that verse, it says that he's warming himself with the fire. Or at the fire. I don't want to harp on this too much, but he's looking to be comfortable when the Lord is suffering. And man, it is so easy to get sucked in by this Disneyland of the United States of America and just kind of look to live a comfortable life. While the Lord Jesus sees suffering, are we willing to identify with the Lord Jesus in His sufferings? And that's really, it seems from Colossians, that's what's going to show the world the truth of the gospel. That's what's going to convince them when we're willing to share in the sufferings of Christ. And Peter here, he's sitting with the world. He's warming himself, looking to be comfortable when the Lord Jesus Christ is suffering. And now he set himself up for a huge fall. 
First step? Pride and arrogance. Second step? Sleeping when he should have been praying. Third step? Wrong sword. Not using his Bible. Fourth step? Following at a distance. Fifth step? Not associating with the world, but sitting with the world. I'm going to the world. See you guys. I've decided to come back. I took the long way around. No, hopefully you don't... I, I don't want to be like the preacher clown running around and... and, and uh, I don't want to make a joke of it is what I mean. But I want to try to illustrate that. Hopefully it, it, it burns into our minds and we remember it. Because it's so easy to take those same kind of steps as an individual, as a family, especially... especially Fathers leading their families sort of in these steps without even recognizing it. And then as a church body, as a whole, I mean, whole assemblies, whole churches, I don't care the denomination, taking steps to pretty soon, you're no longer even a Christian church. And just the warning that we have in this passage, don't go down that path. What step are you in? Maybe some of you are in the fourth step. Others find themselves in the third step. He set himself up for this huge fall, maybe without even realizing where he's at right here. Now let me read the last couple of verses of this chapter. Verse 20, verse 66, starting there. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with this Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it and he said, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Does anyone remember what the Lord Jesus did on that third denial? Peter denies him for the third time. Rooster crows for the second time. And I think it's in the book of Luke. It records what Jesus did. Looked at him. Can you imagine that? You're Peter and you deny him for the third time. And right then, as Jesus is is receiving the punches to the face, he's being spit upon, but immediately Jesus just lifts his head and he looks over. And he looks at you eye to eye. What was in that look? I'm sure it wasn't to look like, I told you so. I'm sure there must have been so much love 
It must have been a look of love. But I think there was there there must have been some some sadness in those eyes too. Knowing that Peter had just denied him three times, and those steps that he had taken. Why don't why don't we all close our eyes? And I want you just to imagine the Lord Jesus looking at you eye to eye right now. What's in that look as He knows everything that you've done and said and thought about this week, today, an hour ago? And He's looking at you being omniscient the only good thing that Peter did in this whole passage is those last words right there and he broke down and wept the difference between Peter and Judas Peter repents you see this broken brokenness before God here. He weeps. He's repentant. And later in John, we see that where Jesus, He restores him. For each time that He had denied him, Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And He, and he restores him. And that fall actually ends up being kind of like a trampoline that, that bounces Peter higher than he was. And he becomes a useful instrument in God's hands. Judas' fall was almost simultaneous, but we see he's not repentant, he's remorseful. He's sad about the consequences. But he goes out and commits suicide. C.H. Spurgeon said this, Great thoughts about your sin alone will drive you to despair, but great thoughts of Christ will pilot you to peace. So don't dwell on... yeah. if, if you're feeling like, man, I'm in the fifth step right there. I'm, I am not in a good place. It's good that you recognize that. So be like Peter at the end. Don't be like Peter in all this, these, these verses before, but here at the end, maybe you just need to get down on your knees, go home, find a private place, and go there by the side of your bed on your knees, and just weep bitterly, if necessary, in repentance. And you see how Peter afterwards, the Lord uses him as a useful instrument in his hands. But he had to be broken here. Great thoughts of your sin alone will drive you to despair. But great thoughts of Christ will pilot you to peace. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. Such a warning to to all of us as individuals, as families, as a church body. So easy to to begin to drift and take these small steps without even realizing what we're doing. Oh Lord, some of us have drifted quite a distance. We need to be awakened. Help us to to be humble. Help us to be men and women of the book. Help us to be men and women of prayer. Help us to follow You closely, whatever the cost. 
Help us, Lord, to influence the world around us with Your love and the Gospel rather than letting them influence us with the wickedness and all the the pull that this world offers. Lord, we put our our lives into Your hands asking that You would be glorified. Help us as we think on these things. If some need to get alone with You and and just cry out to You and repent, as we see Peter at the end of this passage, I pray that they will not let this opportunity pass by. Lord, help us to walk away this evening reflecting on where we're at, where we stand with You. Help us to think on You the author and perfecter of our faith and the only one that can restore us, the only one that can bring the peace that we long to have as we stand before you. We put our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.